Well, good morning, and thanks for tuning in, uh, whether this is your first time or perhaps you even joined us last week. We are so glad that you have chosen to do this. We live in unprecedented times, don't we? And almost daily, something is changing. And the series we're doing right now on the names of God really reveals the character of God. So I'm really looking forward to what the name we're going to learn this morning and the character of God we're going to get to know this morning because I think you'll see how appropriate it is for what's going on in our world right now. I had the opportunity to look up some unusual names of towns or cities, and uh, check this one out. There's a town in Ohio called, no kidding, PP, Ohio. It's actually a township. Can you imagine being from PP, Ohio? Or like your grandma lives there and it's Christmas time and you're going back to visit her? What do you say? I'm going to go to pee-pee? Or how about this one? Um, Slickpoo, Idaho. Yep, no kidding. That's actually the name of a town. There's so much I could say about this. Am I offending some of you? Um, I find this stuff funny, and I realize some of you don't. But as I get closer to retirement, I probably have less discernment even than I used to have. But um, there's another one, for example, Tightwad, Missouri. That's an interesting name. Or Two Egg, Florida. So what happens in a hurricane? Does it become scrambled Florida? Yeah, I don't know. Or how about this one? Uh, There's Smackover, Arkansas. That kind of sounds like a WWE name, doesn't it? Or how about uh, Y, Arizona? That's W-H-Y. Why would you name your town? Why Arizona? And this next one's pretty interesting. No kidding. Unalaska, Alaska. There's actually a place called Unalaska, Alaska. And this last town we don't think about necessarily as being unusual because it's common to us. We live near it. There's a place called Santa Claus, Indiana. Yeah. And I haven't even mentioned Nabone, Indiana. So what's in a name? You've heard that expression, that phrase, haven't you? Do you know where that comes from? That actually comes from Shakespeare. It was in Romeo and Juliet. Um, Here's what it said. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Juliet said that. She's talking to Romeo, and what she's saying is, you know, our families hate each other. They don't want us to be together, the Montagues, the Capulets. But what's the big deal about our names? Why should that keep us apart? In other words, Juliet's saying, names really have no meaning. Now, names might not have mattered to Juliet, but they had a ton of significance in Hebrew culture. If you were with us last week, you know we talked about how many of the names of God appear in stories. Stories give us the context or Um, Sometimes the stories even, the names actually served as a catalyst for the story. Well, the names of God often occurred in stories too, and they are so incredibly important. So the name we're going to look at today comes out of a story, and it's the name Jehovah Rapha, or Rapha. And what it um, means is, I am your healer. We looked at Jehovah last week. Jehovah means, we, we translated 
the Lord, it means I am. It's the proper name of God. Rapha or Rapha can mean healer. So the Lord is my healer. And that name Rapha, that Hebrew word Rapha, is so rich in meaning. It can mean restore. It can mean rebuilder. It can even mean physician. Now, I realize that when I give you the name of God that says, the Lord is my healer, for some of you, that can bring confusion, that can bring doubt, that can bring questions. I'm aware of the fact that that even could surface some hurt or anger for you. Because some of you may be thinking, you know, I prayed, or I am praying that God would heal me, or I prayed for my mom, I prayed for my brother, I prayed for my best friend, and God didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted to. And, and we come from different perspectives. We come from different backgrounds. And we'll talk about this mor- that about this morning as we move on from here. But remember how I said that the names of God often come out of stories? Well, I want to tell you the story behind this name of God, Jehovah Rapha. And it's in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is a story. It's a story about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had a special relationship with God. And that was based on the fact that out of the nation of Israel would come the Messiah, Jesus. So God had this special relationship with them. And this morning we come to Exodus chapter 15. But to back up and get the context of the story, in Exodus 14, the nation of Israel has fled from Egypt. God has delivered them. Moses has led them out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is closing in on them, and they don't know what they're going to do. There's no boat. There's no bridge to get across the Red Sea. Perhaps millions of people. And God steps in, and he parts the waters of that sea so they could go across on dry ground. So as we come to Exodus chapter 15, remember the chapter right after this has happened, What's going on? There's a celebration. They're celebrating what God has done, that he saved them there at the Red Sea. Let me read part of Exodus 15 to you. Here's uh, verse 1, and it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then we'll skip to a few verses later and check out what happens. This is verse 20. It says, Then Miriam, the prophet Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song, sang to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Do you see what's happening here? Try to imagine this. Everybody's dancing and singing tambourines. It got loud. You know, you can't blame them. God has just saved them, literally. They thought they were going to die. Three days later, three days after this, they're complaining to God because they didn't have anything to drink. Let me read it to you. This is Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. So they're in the desert. Nobody likes to go through the desert. 
more often than not, we go through some deserts in our life, our own deserts. Why? God always has a purpose in the deserts, just like he had a purpose in this story. Now, there are different kinds of deserts in that part of the world, but uh, this is probably what the desert they were in looked like, something like this. Um, as you look over that desert, by the way, this picture was taken by someone in Israel just this last November when uh, we took a group from the church there. So you're seeing an actual picture that we took in a desert, and this is probably what it looked like. But what do you see in this desert? Well, it's sandy. It's dry. It's desolate. So can you imagine all these people hundreds of thousands, if not millions, crossing a desert like this for three days. They ran out of water. They're thirsty. Their throats were parched. So let's continue reading. This is verse 23, and it says, When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. They found water. They had been in the desert for three days, so thirsty, wondering what they were going to do, even if they're going to die. And they look ahead, and there they see it, water. You know, finally, isn't God good? He saved us from the Egyptians there at the Red Sea, and now that we're in the desert, he's done it again. He's provided water. You know, they're high-fiving God. They're thanking him. But then they get there. Someone runs up to the water takes a drink, spits it out, and yells, oh, it's horrible, we can't drink this. The water was polluted. The water was not drinkable. What now? God has led them deeper into the desert for three days, only to find out that there's not even drinkable water so they did what we do in a situation like this. They complained. And you know, some of the versions of the Bible you read state it like this. They say, they grumbled. And I kind of like that, they grumbled. Because doesn't the word grumble sound kind of like grumbling? Put yourself in Moses' sandals. The people God has called him to lead turn on him. How does it make you feel when someone grumbles to you? If you're a parent, you've experienced that. Your kids have grumbled. I don't like what we're having for supper. Why do I have to go to bed so early? Why do I have to wear that? Why can't I watch this? I'm bored. Why can't I go out? Why can't I go over to my friend's house? Why won't you let me go over to her house? All the other parents are letting their kids go over to other houses. What they don't realize is that you have their best interests at heart and that you love them. But they can't see that at the time. They don't understand that. You have the bigger picture. Now, if you're watching this on Sunday morning, have you heard any grumbling this morning already? And by the way, I don't want to sound like I'm just picking on kids because we all do it, don't we? Have you done any grumbling lately? Have you grumbled about the impact of the coronavirus? How it's changed your life? The current policies that are in place? 
that there's no NCAA basketball tournament this year, <laughs> no sports at all on right now, no toilet paper. And as you read the Old Testament, you see that the nation of Israel had a long history of grumbling. The minute they got into a situation that they perceived as bad, they grumbled. The interesting thing, though, is this. God put them in this situation on purpose to test them, to help them grow. So just remember, when I am complaining about my circumstances, I could be exactly where God wants me to be. Let's keep reading. We'll see that as we go along. Verse 25 says this. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. To test their faithfulness to him. Why did he need to test their faithfulness? Because he was leading them to the promised land. We call it the promised land, the land God had promised he would give to them to live in. They would need to learn to trust him on the journey so they could trust him when they arrived in the land. The only way you really learn how to trust is to be in a situation where you have to trust. Notice that their problem and the miracle dealt with the exact same thing, water. They came to the Red Sea, and it was a problem, and God saved them by parting the water of the Red Sea. Now they need drinking water, which is the problem, especially out in the desert, and God saved them by turning polluted water into drinking water. Sometimes the solution is the problem when God's involved. So always try to see God in your problem. Keep this in mind, too. They are in the desert and are in the will of God. Don't think that because you're in a desert that God has abandoned you. Problems don't necessarily mean something is wrong. Well, you feel that way at the time, don't you? But that's often not the case. God can use the problems in your life to test or strengthen your faith, to change you, or to help you grow. Here are two things you need to understand about your problems, or about problems in general. First of all, problems can test how well I remember. They had short-term memories, didn't they? It was just Three days ago that God had intervened and solved one water problem for them. Now they have another water problem and suddenly they're grumbling. Could they not have stopped long enough to see that God was working in this? Were they not paying attention three days ago when God was faithful? Do you ever have a problem remembering? They say as you get older that you tend to have more trouble remembering. I wouldn't know anything about that yet. Um, a few months ago, I was headed to the nursing home to visit someone, and I was in the office at the church, and as 
I was leaving, my administrative assistant, Trisha, was standing there. And I just said to her, as I turned my back and I was walking out, I said, I'm headed to the nursing home. And then as I got to the door, I added, they're doing pre-admission testing. And I never looked back to see if she heard me or to see what her reaction was. The next day, Trisha was in my office. We were talking about something else, and I couldn't remember someone's name. And as I was trying to think of it, she said to me, how did that pre-admission testing go for you, Jerry? Touché. But we often all have short-term memories when it comes to remembering how God has been faithful to us. So it's always best when facing a challenge to pause and ask, has God been faithful to me in the past? So can he see me through this? Second, problems can give me the opportunity to learn about God. It's hard to learn to trust if you don't have anything you need to trust about, isn't it? Often when problems come, we learn something new about God, about who he is, about his character, about what he can do, about what he will do. Mara was a test. What the Israelites saw was a problem. Our circumstances are bad, so they complained, they grumbled. What they didn't see was what God was doing, using a problem to reveal more of himself to them. When you're complaining, Stop. Behind a complaint is something going on. Ingratitude, bitterness, worry, fear. Failure to see the big picture. Failure to see what God is doing. God is using a water problem to test them and to reveal more of his character to them. Well, now it's time for the climax of the story. Check out verse 26. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all of his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. There it is. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah is Hebrew for the Lord, Rapha is Hebrew for healer. This is why God let them go three days without water in the desert, only to find bitter water. He wanted them to learn something about him. He's saying this, I can take polluted water and I can turn it into Dasani. I didn't bring you out here into this desert, you know, just so you would die. I brought you out here and brought you through this test so that you could have fresh drinking water because I want you to learn something about me. I have another name you need to know. I am the Lord who heals you. Now, our first thought when we hear the word heal, when it's associated with God, that God is going to heal us physically. And sometimes God does that. It's okay to pray for physical healing. I do that quite often for others, and I love it when he does that. But we live in a world where we realize and we know that that doesn't always happen. So how can God call himself 
healer, if he doesn't make me well, if he doesn't cure me? Great question. Fair question. And it's okay to want healing. Is it possible that the healing God is talking about is different from the way we view healing? Well, what happens when a person who's accepted Jesus in their life, trusted him for forgiveness, and has eternal life? What happens when they die? They go to heaven, a place where there's no more crying or sorrow or pain or death. If we're praying for healing for that person and they die, they've actually experienced the ultimate healing. We may not like it. We may find it hard to accept. We may miss them like crazy. But someday we'll see it differently. I wonder sometimes if that person in heaven isn't saying, don't cry for me. This is fantastic. I'll see you soon. But more often than not, I believe the examples we see in the Bible, in fact, example after example, the kind of healing that God wants to do in our lives is more emotional or spiritual healing. For example, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, had some kind of physical problem. We don't know what it was. He called it a thorn in the flesh. Some of us think maybe it was his eyesight because he wrote about not being able to see very well. Whatever it was, he viewed this as his problem. It restricted him in ministry. It held him back. Or did it? He prayed for healing from this thorn in the flesh. Not once, not twice, three times. God never healed his thorn in the flesh. God did some healing in Paul's life. Spiritual healing. Check this out. This is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So this is Paul talking. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, and to keep me from becoming proud three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. The healing God wanted to do in Paul's life was to keep Paul weak so that Paul would learn to rely on the power of God through his weakness. Not the kind of healing Paul would have chosen, but the kind of healing Paul needed. You heard me right. The healing God offered Paul was weakness. Because through his weakness, Paul became more dependent on God, which is where we find healing anyway. Does a good parent give their children what they want or what they need? Hopefully, what they need because kids don't always understand what's best for them. You know, I don't like e-learning. I know, but you need to do your homework so you can get an education. God brings healing by giving us what we need rather than what we want. And he does it because he loves us, because he wants what is best for us. Jehovah Rapha, 
the one who heals. Here's 1 Peter 2.24. It says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Sometimes people read this, and even with good intentions, they think it's a promise that God will heal them from all sickness and disease. But it's pretty clear if you look at the context, it's referring to spiritual healing, isn't it? Jesus heals us from the disease of sin because sin leads to spiritual death. And spiritual death is far, far worse. Spiritual healing is so much better even than physical healing. Well, guess what? There's more to the story of Israel. Let's go back to the book of Exodus and wrap this up. This is the last verse in chapter 15 of Exodus, verse 27. It says, after leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. 12 springs. 12 springs means fresh, flowing water. I mentioned this earlier. When we were in Israel back in November, we got a pretty good picture of what this was like. We were in a desert. It's a dry, parched land. Remember that picture earlier. Then we came to an oasis, the oasis of Engedi. And King David, before he was king, he hung out at this oasis a lot. Out in the middle of this desert is this beautiful, flowing waterfall. Here's a picture of it. This was, picture was taken by someone on our trip as well. And when you get there out in this dry desert, it's invigorating to see this. It's refreshing to see this water. And that's where God led his people, to an oasis. The oasis of Elam had 12 springs, 12 springs, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And palm trees. Uh, the palm trees were probably date palms. Take a look at what a date palm looks like. The fruit of the date palm, of course, is a date. It's very sweet. They actually make honey from it. The honey you read about in the Bible is date honey. Not only did it give them carbs or energy for the journey, but it tasted great. It was just God's way of saying, just trust me, I got this. So God is saying, when you see a problem, I see an opportunity to reveal myself to you. I'm the one who heals. But you have to go through Marat to get to Elam. But when you do, you find out that God is good, even in the midst of our problems, because he brings healing. Jehovah Rapha. Where do you need healing today? In your heart? Or bitterness has crept in? God wants to heal you through forgiveness. In your soul, where there's doubt and discouragement, they plague you. He wants to heal you when you feel like giving up. In your thoughts, where worry or fear have just about taken over, he wants to heal you so you can learn to turn your problems over to him. So you can trust him and live at peace. With your words. So you will speak kindness and encouragement instead of cutting remarks. Let God's healing grace allow you to extend some grace to others.
through hurts from your past. The healing process may take you through the desert for that. You may have to face and deal with some stuff that you've kept buried. But if you allow God's healing power to work in your life, you can come out and find an oasis of fresh and living water for your soul. God often uses the stories of our lives to reveal himself to us. You know, we're in unprecedented times. Um, The coronavirus has changed the way we do life, and at least in the short term. Perhaps you even know someone who has it. Perhaps you'll get it in the days to come. Can we just pause and say, God, how do you want to reveal yourself to me through this? Let's pray. God, how I thank you for the incredible character we see in your name, and especially the richness of your name, Jehovah Rapha. And perhaps us learning about this name now is as appropriate as any time we've had when we feel insecure, when we're unsure, we don't know what the future holds, we don't know what tomorrow holds. And God, so right now, we just trust in your name. We rest in who you are, that you are indeed Jehovah Rapha. Thank you that we have you. Thank you that you are our rock, you are our refuge, you are our strength, and that we have you to turn to. And so we do that this morning, and my prayer is that all of us who are watching now would do that as well. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.